We don't know a whole lot about the prophet Habakkuk, and we're not explicitly told the time of his prophecy either. Yet, even without those finer details, there is a lot that we can learn from what we call one of the minor prophets. What makes this prophecy unique is that Habakkuk is not preaching the oracles of God to the people. Rather, this book records a direct dialogue between God and his prophet. Based on the complaints that Habakkuk has and the responses that he receives from God, many scholars believe that Habakkuk is having this dialogue around the year 609 BC, maybe a little bit after. You see, under King Josiah, the nation of Judah had undertaken many moral reforms. Under Josiah's rule, he had purged the nation of the altars that were built to false gods, and the book of the law was found, as, and Josiah moved to restore the Passover celebration. However, the good king Josiah died in battle against Necho, the king of Egypt, in 609 B.C. Upon Josiah's death, all of the reforms of this great nation were erased, and the subsequent kings that followed committed evil in the sight of the Lord. And so with the death of Josiah and wickedness on the rise, it is believed that Habakkuk has this dialogue and receives this prophecy from God as he engages with his Lord. It's with the loss of a king who was reforming a nation and the decline of morality that Habakkuk engages with God. We start in Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse number 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing. Conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and why justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. I want you to notice the questions that Habakkuk asks, and how they all center on how long and why. Again, how long shall I cry out for help and you will not hear? How long shall I cry out to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk has been praying for his people, for the morality of his nation. But from his position, it seems like God isn't doing anything about it. Now don't forget that this nation that Habakkuk is so concerned about, these are supposed to be the people of God. This isn't a worldly Gentile nation, yet that is exactly how they're acting. And that's exactly what they've become. These people who are supposed to be the holy people of God, set apart from the rest of the world, are filled with the same violence, sin, and injustice as the rest of the world. Habakkuk says that all he sees is destruction, violence, strife, contention. There's no justice. The law is paralyzed. And the righteous are surrounded by the wicked. Everything is perverted. 
Habakkuk's cry is simply, what is going on around here? How long are you going to let this happen, God? Why aren't you doing anything? How can you just idly sit by and let these things happen? To me, it seems like Habakkuk is just being honest with God about the way he feels. I wonder how many people have asked those very same questions. I think all of us have encountered the how long and the why at some point during our discipleship journey. Something happens and it causes us to wonder what God is even doing. We go through things and what we find is that what we experience and the things that we witness, they don't correlate or correspond to the righteousness of God. And so we cry out. We want to know why this is happening. We want to know why God would allow and tolerate such evil. Habakkuk was not the only person of God to ask these questions. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The psalmist says in chapter 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Even the angels of God ask how long. In Zechariah chapter 1, the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years. What we should learn from Scripture, the pattern we clearly are given, is that true faith very often finds itself perplexed by God. The faithful don't have all the answers. Even pure spiritual beings, the angels, do not have all the answers. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean that we'll have the answer to every question or that we'll always be able to understand why something is happening. But we shouldn't think that there's something wrong with that. We shouldn't feel like it's inappropriate to have these questions for God. Even good and faithful Job had these same feelings of despair come over him when he says behold I cry out violence but I'm not answered I call for help but there is no justice to Habakkuk to Job even to us sometimes it feels like God is not listening and that God's not doing anything if there's one thing that Habakkuk shows to us is that we can and we should have honest conversations with God. God can handle our raw emotions, our unadulterated thoughts. It's okay to ask God what's going on. 
It is wholly appropriate to turn to God in prayer and tell Him, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. There are going to be many events in our lives where we say, I don't understand. And that's okay. But there's an important aspect of Habakkuk's faith during these times of trial and confusion and perplexity that we cannot overlook. And it is that Habakkuk talks to God about these things. Habakkuk doesn't leave God. He doesn't turn away from Him. He doesn't throw his hands up and give up on his religion and go find satisfaction somewhere else. So often that ends up being the response that occurs when trials crush people's lives. We simply give up on God. However, rather than giving up on God, we need to try talking to God. Tell Him what you're experiencing. Tell him about the pain you have. Tell him how you feel. Tell God how confused you are. We consider the many psalms of David and the other writers who speak to God with such raw emotion. Listen to the words of Psalm 38, the first nine verses. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Your arrows have pierced me. Your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. There's no soundness in my bones because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester, and they're loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down. I'm brought very low. All the day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble, I'm utterly crushed, and I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord, and my sighing is not hidden from you. Honesty with God is one of the most important aspects of developing our faith. We're not going to grow in the strength of the Lord if we're not honest with ourselves, with our thoughts before God, and with our faith. So don't expect to be able to understand or to explain the mind or the actions of God. There are things that happen in life that we're not going to understand. And the example and the command we're given is to take them to God in prayer. And you know I say that, yet I I also do fear that we don't even fully understand the function and the power of prayer. You know, too often we think of prayer as as merely a request line to God. We ask Him for stuff, or we ask Him for things to happen, and then we wait for the response. Which, by the way, that is a false view on prayer. God does not answer our requests simply because we ask. God does not answer our requests in the way that we think He should answer our requests. Habakkuk has been praying to God, but has not received the answer that he was looking for from God. We set ourselves up with a false expectation of prayer if we think that 
we just offer prayer and then God is just compelled to respond in kind. Rather than thinking of prayer as a request line, we need to see prayer as a dialogue with God. When we have times with doubt, there is no greater comforter, so pray. When we do not understand, there is no more useful tool than prayer. Prayer is the tool to communicate with God about what is happening, express our confusion, ask our questions, and then wait for God to respond. These moments of perplexity and of questioning God and going to Him in prayer, these are opportunities for us to draw closer to God. And it's in times like these, during our trials, where we become aware that we are not all-powerful. We're not all-knowing. We are not the ones in control. Not as much as we like to think we are. We are put back into our place. And we're made to realize how small we truly are. And our need to rely upon our great Creator, God. When we go to the Smoky Mountains when we see the Grand Canyon, or we visit Niagara Falls, we don't look out at the beauty of God's creation and then step back and think about how great and powerful I am. We look out. We soak in that scene. And it's a moment when you feel just how small you are. And you can finally begin to understand how great our God is. People do not go through disasters like tornadoes, floodings, hurricanes, earthquakes, thinking about how great we are, but instead about how small we are. Difficult times have an extreme impact on our lives. We stop seeing ourselves as something truly great, and we turn to the one who truly is great. We cannot approach God or even begin to understand until we take in these moments of smallness and turn to the Lord in complete dependence. Habakkuk didn't take matters into his own hands. He knew his place. He knew how small he was. And so he is praying to the Almighty God to act. He places all things into God's hands, who has the power. Habakkuk trusts that God might be able to do something to turn the hearts of these people and fix this situation. He asserts that there is no reason for the violence and the destruction that he sees to exist because he believes that God can do something about it. Habakkuk gives us the perfect example by turning to God. Habakkuk teaches us not to come up with false reasons to soothe our spirits temporarily, but instead to turn to the Lord. To understand that God is ruling. Understand that God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And never forget that God cares about you. Even though we feel so small in those times, that He has shown that He cares for us through the gift of of the cross. Turn over with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Peter chapter 1. That cross serves as a perpetual reminder to us 
of how much God loves us. So easy to forget when life doesn't make sense. It's so easy to forget all the things that God has already done to prove His love for us so that we might remain faithful to Him during those times of struggle. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6, Peter writes and says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. God is not trying to destroy you. God is not trying to personally punish you for your sins. God is not shooting and hurling lightning bolts of wrath down upon you. God isn't slapping us on the back of the head for payback for our errors. Our diseases, our syndromes, our trials, they don't exist because God is trying to exact some sort of revenge on us. Whatever happens to us, it is to purify and to strengthen our faith. We go through the fire. We are refined like gold so that we may praise, glorify, and honor the one who was nailed to a cross for our sins. Again, the cross remains as the firm, the firm fixture for Christians to hold on to. It's the knowledge that God loves every one of his children and would have us all receive the goal of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. So when you're suffering, when life doesn't make sense, look to the cross as the eternal monument of God's love and mercy for you. He has given us the cross as the answer in spite of life's perplexities. But this morning, if you find yourself perplexed by life, if you don't feel like you have all the answers, if you don't know where else to turn to and you feel like everything is hopeless, turn to God. Put your hope in His Son, Jesus. Put on Christ through the faithful obedience in the waters of baptism. Partake of this love that God poured out for you through Jesus' death on the cross and share in that death, that burial, and that resurrection. If you are a Christian, maybe you've been struggling in some type of way. Maybe you've been faithful for a very long time, but you keep facing trial after trial, hardship after hardship, and you're just about ready to give up. I am begging you this morning, please do not walk out of here without taking your troubles and your worries to God. Lift up your voice to Him in prayer. Let us surround you with love and support during your pain and your suffering. Whatever it is, be honest with God this morning. And never forget the love that He has shown for you. For anything you need, the Lord invites His children to come forward as we stand and as we sing.